0: Welcome into the clap trap brought to you by Ultrasound Productions now also playing on 90.7 WKKL Renfro Got it. right on the money there partner Well, that's his best slider the entire night he stayed back on that kept his front shoulder in and look at this late break nasty for Shohei Otani the drive. The shoulder delivery straight forward I love when that toe is pointing that landing foot pointing right towards the target leadoff hitter at second base and Otani is uh, trying to fade the third out here Danny Santana's 0 for 2 card set fastball Said so hit it the Fletch and get rid of it. Boom. Oh hey Ohtani is able to strand that leadoff single and preserve the Angels advantage right. Arroyo Austin down to their final strike 0 oh, 2 to Arroyo. Got him swinging. The save to Rice El Iglesias, his 17th. The win to Shohei Otani, his fourth of the year. As the Angels bat in the bottom of the fifth inning, and Otani will lead it off. Hey, and he chops that one foul over on the first base side. Read right about the foot on that one, Shohei. Out in front. That one there hit off the back left knee. He's got the front right foot and the back left knee, and he said that. Yeah, he would like that nice jog around the bases now instead of have to sprint. Oh, he's gonna get to jog around the bases. He did it again. he's a beast. There really is no one like him. You foul off your front foot, you foul it off your back knee, and what do you do? he's love to take that little casual jog," and he runs. It's already the most home runs in a single season on July 7th by a Japanese-sport player in Major League Baseball. Shohei Otani is the most exciting thing in baseball. All right. That is not a hot take whatsoever right now. If you are a baseball fan right now and you don't believe that Shohei Otani is the best thing going for baseball right now, I would love to hear what you think is the best thing going right now, because that guy is amazing. We got to see a whole series of him as the Red Sox faced off against the Angels these last couple of days here, in which the Red Sox dropped two out of three to those Angels, and it was mainly in part because of Shohei Otani. This guy was all over the place during these games. I'm just... I'm flabbergasted I, I, I you know it's it's different hearing about him and then watching him for a full series and yes I you know I don't care what you think about me and my baseball watching that I've done over the season so far I am at the point where I am trying to get fully invested in this season right now um, you know think what you want about that but this is series was a lot of fun to watch, though it was extremely late, and I will say that it's extremely hard for me to stay up when the games start at 9.38 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I get that it's out on the West Coast, and so therefore it needs to start a little bit later, but come on, this is just... Too much for anybody who watches baseball and you know that the game is at least going to be three and a half hours long and it's starting at 930 at night. That's kind of crazy for anybody who actually has to wake up at any reasonable time the next day. But this was a great baseball-watching series, I would say. Overall, there was a decent amount of runs scored in every single game. Every game was basically like five to four. I think I'm looking back right now. We had five, four Red Sox, three, five Angels, four, five Angels. Those were the scores of these games here. So a lot of scoring happening and a lot of entertainment value, I think, uh, particularly because of, like I said, Shohei Otani. Now, he didn't do much in the first game, only going one for five. But then in the second game... The guy pitches seven innings strong, right? He he does a great job pitching. He's hitting 96, 97 miles an hour on the gun. He also gets in there and he hits a nice double, RBI double for the team as well. So that was a huge, uh, you know, lift for them, not only pitching but also batting in the same game. And I love the way that they actually do that with this Angels squad that is an American League team. So instead of having a DH, they just put Otani out there. Smart, understandable because the guy leads the league in home runs, and as you. You heard in that intro, he also now has broken the record for the single season most home runs hit by a Japanese player ever. That's insane. And it's only July 7th, right? He already has 32 home runs. I'm sure he's going to get some more. And I believe he's also in the uh the home run derby. That that's going to be fun as well. So this guy is baseball right now as far as I'm concerned. Now, he's got another player on his team by the name of Mike Trout who is supposed to be the face of the league and it is already Shohei Otani's league now as far as I'm concerned. There's no I mean ma- maybe Fernando Tatís because he's he's exciting as well and at least he talks and does crazy stuff. Mike Trout is the most boring face of a franchise or face of a of of a sport that I've ever seen. So Shohei Otani is the guy. He's the man. He's the myth. He's the legend. He is Babe Ruth 2.0, whatever you want to call it. He's got it. And I'm I'm just infatuated by it. It's crazy to me. But um, as far as the Red Sox went, not the best performance for them. They did try to battle back a few times, but it, it seemed as though just the the starting pitching was just really going to screw us over during this series. You had Evaldi, who I thought was the only reliable pitcher uh, going in that second game. And though he did have nine strikeouts and he did kind of battle back after having an, er, some early struggles in the game, he did get a, give up a total of five earned runs, which was everything that was given up to the Angels in that second game there. And then you had Erod giving up back to back home runs to Otani and Ward in that in that the final game of the series there uh, where he he went back to his old ways eduardo that 's what i 'm talking about, giving up nine total hits in five innings and uh, giving up four earned runs during that as well, so yes, he did have a couple of good starts against Oakland and against New York in which he didn 't really give up that many runs at all, and he got a win against new york but he get, he went right back to his old ways against the Angels there in that game, and uh, it's a tough one there. So now the Red Sox are still in first place in the division, but they no longer have the best re- record in baseball. They don't even have the best record in the American League, technically. Uh, because the Astros have one less loss than they do, so you still have a two and a half run uh, or a two and a half game lead over the Rays at this point. After you watch w- lost those two games, so it, you know it's getting back to we got to get get on these wins here and keep this lead for the, for the division over the Rays because they're on a four game win streak right now and they are they are charging after losing pretty badly recently, but. This series, I I gotta say, this is kind of getting me onto baseball for the right reasons this time, right? You can say that I've been getting onto baseball for the wrong reasons lately because of the fact that the spider tack issue and all those scandals have been happening. And yes, I said I've been watching and and, uh, been interested because of that. But I guess you could say as a baseball fan, that's the wrong reason to get into these games. But now... Now I'm excited for other reasons. I love this Shohei Otani kid. I need to see more of him. I can't wait to see what he does in the All-Star game, being the first pitcher to be a, uh, brought on to the All-Star team as both a pitcher and a batter or fielder, whatever you want to say there. I'm excited to see him in the home run derby, right? That is something that's going to make that exciting for me personally. So I would assume it's going to be more exciting for more of the casual fans as well. Uh, And you got a a nice little three-game series for the Red Sox coming up against the Phillies at home before it all starts. So hopefully we can start to see some more interesting baseball going forward. And uh, I'm just glad as well that we're not on the West Coast road trip anymore because those games against the Athletics and Angels were brutal to try and stay up for. So now you got a nice little home series against the Phillies, and uh, and you know you hope that you can actually take a good amount from this Phillies team that is not doing good, forty one and forty three on the record currently. Uh, I believe they are a good ways out of the. Uh, Yes, actually, they're seven and a half games out of the wild card right now. So they are not really looking too good. The the Red Sox should be able to clean up against these guys here. And you hope that it can come starting with the starting pitching. But we will see how that goes going forward. Now, the starters on this Red Sox team, for me, have been the issue all year. You've heard me complaining about it. If you've been listening along to the show, uh, that this is going to be the one thing that really held them back from being the team that they could possibly be. I always had faith that the bats were going to be able to be solid enough and maybe still win you some games just because you were going to get enough run support from them. But the starting pitching is always going to be the main issue, I believe, for this team. And like I said in previous episodes, for a little while, I kind of had to eat crow on that because they were actually being pretty dominant through the beginning portions of this season. Come to find out, the reason is because of spider tack and other sticky substances. And now, half of those pitchers that were pitching good look like dog crap at this point. So. What are the pitchers, What are we going to do going forward? I think it's going to be a big question mark and, and something that is going to determine how this team is going to do in the playoffs. But I wanted to really talk quickly about a tweet that I saw from Lou Merlone, who is a guy who covers the team, works for WEI. He is very involved with the team, obviously former player, all of those things. Lou Merloni came out with a tweet that I thought was a little... Crazy, right? Uh, My my exact quote on the tweet was to say that it was pretty crazy to have this type of a thought. But what he actually said was, the Red Sox have the deepest pitching staff in baseball and have Sale, Hawk, and Brazier coming back. Everyone everyone could use pitching depth, but really the only need they have is first base, in his opinion. That's just crazy. Um, I get it. You got to say some crazy things sometimes to get noticed, but that's a crazy one, right? There's no way that you are feeling good about go, going into a playoff series with this current pitching staff the way that we have it. And I can't give you Chris Sale right now because we have no idea what he's going to be. He's starting to work his way up, and they're starting to get him closer and closer to being able to pitch five innings of warm-up pitches and things like that. But how can you actually go into this saying that you think that this is a deep pitching staff? Uh, I, I just I don't see it... Oh just because of the fact that you have starters now that you cannot trust in any sense when it comes to starting pitching. I still trust Nathan Avaldi personally. He, I believe, is your number one right now. But can you trust Erod? Can you trust Eduardo Rodriguez at all at this point in the season? Like I said in the last segment, yes, he did have a couple of good starts against the Athletics and against the Yankees. Back-to-back starts, got the win against the Yankees, gave up only a couple of runs, gave up no runs runs against the athletics, didn't get the win there. So he pitched okay. But then you come right back. And you're going against the Angels, who were considered a lower-ranked team up until about a month ago. Uh, they have kind of turned it on a little bit more recently there. And even though they didn't have Trout in the lineup, they were able to dominate uh, uh, Erod, getting nine hits over five innings, getting two back-to-back home runs from Otani and Ward there that really kind of put the game in the Angels' hands there. I don't trust Erod at all. Nick Pavetta... I guess, you know, that's another one that's a little bit interesting to me just because he has been so up and down as far as I'm concerned. He did just have that great outing against Oakland where he pitched seven strong innings and he only gave up two hits, had 10 Ks and got the win. That was huge. That's great. But before that, you gave up nine hits in four, four and a third innings to Kansas City. Before that, you couldn't get the win against Tampa Bay. Before that, you played Kansas City again, and you gave up another six hits. Same thing against Toronto. Well, for that, what I'm saying is he hasn't been consistent enough for you to feel good about the depth on this team. Don't even get me started about Garrett Richards. This guy is a mental, you know, he's got nothing mentally uh, uh, for somebody who, after this whole spider tag issue came out, was one of the biggest crybabies since that point on. He just gave up 11 hits in five innings to Kansas City. He just had a subpar performance against Oakland. Is he going to be consistent? I can't trust that. And then Martin Perez is nothing to me. I, I, I personally, uh, he he's a flip of the coin every single time you go out there. Is he going to get the run support or not? That's going to be the question. He's going to give up a lot of hits every single game. And then is, is he going to get the run support for Martin Perez? But that's what you get out of a fifth starter, right? The bullpen is okay. I will give you that. As far as depth goes, love Matt Barnes. Adam Ottavino has come around for me. I think that he had some shaky outings there, but I think he's gotten back to normal. Other than uh, Garrett Whitlock has had one shaky outing recently. Other than that, he's been great. Brandon Workman, I'm interested to see what he can continue to do coming back uh, for this team. Josh Josh Taylor is not terrible. I still think you could use one more arm in that bullpen to really get things going. But once again, I think that the main problem is your starters. So to Lou Merloney, I say, how do you feel that this is the deepest pitching staff in baseball when I just named off to you that four out of your five starters are some of the most inconsistent pitchers you've got? Some of the worst pitchers you got going right now from game to game basis is your pitcher's Uh, Two through five, because I'm I'm counting Evaldi as a number one starter on this team, though on a lot of depth charts, they have Erod as the number one starter. Erod doesn't have it right now. I don't know if he's had it all year. I mean, he had a good first four or five games in a row. And then from then on, he has just had inconsistent start after inconsistent start. So. What are you going to get from this pitching staff as we get closer and closer to the playoffs? Because right now they're on a downslope, so they really need this all-star break to come in handy. They need to get some good rest here because otherwise you're going to be looking at a long second half of the season that is going to be showing us what this pitching staff is really made of. The bats are going to be fine. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced that the bats will be okay and that we will be able to get good enough run support to make some of these bad starting pitchers look decent, right? At least their records will look decent. But until you get Chris Sale back and you know exactly what you're going to get from him as far as what role he's going to be in, You can't say that we have a deep pitching staff. You just can't do it. That's just insane. It's crazy to me to think that we have this deep staff uh, going into the season. That's our one major weakness. You need to go out and get a starting pitcher at the trade deadline and possibly an arm for the bullpen as well. Then we're going to start talking about this team is legit. This team can actually make a run at things. And I will be thinking that way as well right now. I'm happy to be watching the team and seeing how they're doing. I think that I keep saying it over and over again, but the bats I'm happy with, I'm happy with Xander Bogarts, Devers, JD Martinez. I I'm, I'm loving the production out of Verdugo, regardless of his off the fields antics. Um, you know, we're getting good stuff from these players here. It's just that I need to see more from that starting pitching rotation and in all honesty, he's not wrong. We could use another uh, first baseman, really. We we could use a first baseman that could do something good for this team because the rest of the players I feel really good about. I feel good about the rest of the roster other than those few key, very key areas. So we got some basketball to talk about here want to switch it up from the baseball talk because the NBA Finals game two happened last night and it was a doozy. I don't know if you guys tuned in for it. I know it's tough right now in the Boston area to think about basketball, especially after the way that our season ended. Um, and, you know, the, the, the new things that are happening with the team there. But if you are a huge fan of just basketball in general, it has been a, an exciting, I would say, first two games uh, of the NBA Finals, the the one happening last night, uh, though it is now a 2-0 series lead for the Suns, was extremely interesting to watch, especially because of the factor of Giannis Antetokounmpo. That guy was playing out of his mind in this game. Uh, he was all over the place. I have huge respect for Giannis, especially from that performance. I, I like the player beforehand, but... That performance in particular gave such a uh, level of respect for that type of player and what he's able to do and accomplish. um, You know, playing the way that he does. He for for you guys who weren't able to watch the game last night, he ended up with a line of forty two points. 12 rebounds, four assists, three blocks, and a steal. That man was everywhere. And if it wasn't for the fact that he couldn't get any supporting help from the rest of his team, Chris Middleton went 5 of 16 shooting. Holiday went 7 of 21 shooting. He had a little bit of help off the bench from Connaughton, Pat Connington, but otherwise it was a lot of just Giannis doing it all by himself. He probably could have gotten a win there. I mean, they only lost 118 to 108. So if you think about it, that wasn't too far off. If he could have just gotten a little bit of support, a little bit of help from anybody else on the team, but he couldn't get it, and so therefore they were going to lose that game. But he was, you know, pumping up his teammates on the sidelines during timeouts. They were having, you know, the huddle in the sides, and there was actually a specific clip. I, I urge you to go and look for it online there of him getting in everyone's faces, pumping them all up, clapping, getting everybody going, trying to get as much energy out of his team as he could. That is exactly what a leader does and he is clearly the leader of that team as he should be multiple time MVP uh, you know finally getting to this position where he can play in the finals and he wants it bad he was he was yelling for the ball out on the court, uh, you, you know, screaming at Holiday at one point to give him the ball so he could attack because it was going too slow for him, giving a hundred percent on every single play. It was it was unbelievable. So much respect to Giannis. I, I I can't say it enough. So many times, but at the end of the day, it didn't really matter because the Suns played an overall team basketball game much better than the Bucks did. Like I said, you obviously can have bad shooting nights on teams and, and they were still in it. The Bucks were still in it at, at least a little bit towards the end there. But when you don't have anybody else showing up, it's going to be tough. Whereas on the sun side of things, all five of their starters scored at least 10 points in the game. They, as a team, they went 20 for 40 from 3, as opposed to the Bucks that went 9 of 31. So the, the ball movement was just absolutely insane from the Suns. It, it was something that I was, you know, as a Celtics fan, really upset seeing because I remember when the Celtics not, only, not even a couple of years ago were playing like that, moving the ball, extra passes, all these types of things. I have a clip real quick uh, that you can kind of hear what they were doing during this game, which was unbelievable. Here it is. Pushes back to Booker up top Crowder. Bridges fakes now drives. Extra pass. Great ball movement, but terrific defense as well. Booker trying to draw the foul. Hooked away by Middleton. Bridges inside. Aiden for the layup. And the foul. What a sequence. And so you don't even get all of the passes just from that call right there. The the, the clip is all up over the Internet, and I'm, I've uh, posted it on my Twitter, at the TheClapTrap, at ZachClap on Twitter, if you want to go and watch it. But there must have been seven, eight, nine passes during that sequence. He said, what a sequence. It was amazing seeing the ball move like that. Like I said, I, I remember not even a couple of years ago when the Celtics used to play that way. And that stuff was amazing. That's real team basketball for you right there. And yes, he even says it in the clip. Great defense from by the Bucks. But you know what the best way to get around be- the great defense is? You move the ball. You pass it a few times. You try and get some more open looks. You keep moving the ball as a team. You don't just let it sit there in Jason Tatum's hands or Jalen Brown's hands when they can't figure out how to score at that moment. And nine times out of ten, maybe they are going to be able to score. But when they can't, you need to move the ball. It was pretty clear in this game that the Suns wanted to play as a team. And it happens when the leader of your team is a point guard who loves to pass the ball in Chris Paul. Yes, I do believe that he is the leader of this team. Regardless, if if you think that Booker is more talented overall right now, just because Chris Paul has gotten older, the, the leader of this team is still Chris Paul, make no mistake. And when the team takes on the roles of the leader or, or takes on the personality of the leader, and in this case it's a point guard, you're going to get a lot more ball movement. You got guys out there like Jay Crowder, uh, DeAndre Ayton moving the ball, You know, all around the top of the key, just passing and passing and passing. And I loved it. It was amazing. It was a great style of basketball. And on the other side, you had Giannis trying to do it all by himself, kind of like how Tatum's done it this whole season there. And it just wasn't enough. If that doesn't tell you as a Celtics fan that things needed to change with this team... Then I don't know what else to say. They needed to get back to less ISO ball, more team ball. It's pretty evident that that kind of ball can get you all the way to a championship. It's it did it for the Suns. That's pretty evident at this point right now. So that game was a, unbelievable. It was a great NBA game. If you're just a pure fan of basketball and you wanted to just you didn't have any rooting interest or anything like that and just watch a game of basketball, it was a great game. It was a great game. They had a great game 1-2 and now the Suns are up 2-0. I'm sure Chris Paul can just smell it right now. He's sniffing that first NBA title in his first NBA title appearance or finals appearance. That kind of stuff is great for the game for pure boss or for pure basketball fans. Not great for the game from a rating standpoint, not going to lie. that The ratings have been down as I thought that they would be just because you have Phoenix versus Milwaukee. It's just not really the huge markets that the NBA wants. It's not what's going to get you the big ratings. There's no Boston, there's no l a there's no miami uh it, it, at least these you know big franchise type areas where you you got your crazier fans in Miami. I don't even know why I threw Miami in that list. I know that I hate on those fans most of the time, but at least they show up when their teams are winning, I guess these games here have been great from a basketball standpoint, not so great from a rating standpoint that's that's pretty evident right there, but the ball movement, the passing. All of that was so good. I couldn't believe it. The only thing that I found better was the way that the Suns count every single time that Giannis gets onto the free throw line. I love that. And you get the reaction there at the end because he actually airballed that free throw on the one that I played the clip there for. And that stuff is just good. Har- like a whole- <laughs> that is just good old fashioned fun right there from the the Suns crowd. I loved that. That was a great chant, great uh, way to get in Giannis's head. And though I believe he was 11 of 18 from free throw, uh, you know, may- maybe it did, maybe it didn't get in his head. Either way, I loved it. I think that that's one of the better chants that I've heard in a long time coming out of an NBA game, and it was just great overall. I'm happy with the actual basketball product and what's been going on with this series so far. So the other thing that has been going on recently is obviously the Olympics are gearing up here. And so the Olympic U S men's basketball team has also been gearing up for Tokyo. They have decided their 12 man roster and uh, our own, Uh, Jason Tatum is on the team. He's with the likes of Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Durant, those types of players there. It is going to be fun to watch them most likely dominate once again in U.S. basketball or or in this uh, Olympic setting here. That's usually how things go. Um, And especially with this type of a team here, it's going to be great. So you have these great players all lining up together. And what we have to think of as Celtics fans nowadays is when these situations arise where all these stars get together, including your own Boston stars, what are they talking about? What are they getting into? Because it's not only about basketball or the Olympics, right? There's other things that are going on. They're talking about creating friendships. They're talking about creating super teams, right? That's exactly what everyone as a Celtics fan should be thinking about, worried about wanting to know about now after, you know, years of seeing it happen right in front of our face. The last iteration of that example would be Kyrie Irving. Obviously that's one where we all got upset about knowing for a fact that he was talking to Durant about making a super team. And then he says, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And then all of a sudden he's creating a super team the next year. So with that being said, I've been seeing all over Twitter. People are posting pictures. It's, there's a, a specific picture that I saw the other day that I commented on, and it was uh, at a practice, a team practice for Team USA, and you have from left to right Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, all sitting together, all chatting it up. Looks like they're having a good time. They're laughing. They're relaxing after a tough practice. And the quote or the, the text on this tweet said, dangerous thoughts entering Celtics fans' heads with this picture. Yes, dangerous thoughts. I agree. And it's not the types of dangerous thoughts that I'm sure some green teamers are having right now. The type of thought that I'm having is, please don't be talking about creating a super team somewhere other than Boston. That's what I'm mostly worried about right now. Because I think that a lot of people always think, oh, they must be talking about creating a team for Boston. But after the most recent version of superstars talking about creating super uh, super teams around you, you can't be feeling confident that they're actually talking about coming to Boston to do that, right? At least not confident about it. Obviously that could be one of the options, but it's not going to be the only thing that they're talking about as far as I'm concerned, or at least what I'm worried about mostly for this. So uh, Bradley Beal was actually asked about this exact same situation here, and he had some awesome comments about it. I do like this player and the way that he talks, at least in these situations, it seems so. Uh, I'm going to play that clip for you right now, so you guys can hear it if you haven't heard it already. But you tell me what you think that this all means from this clip right here, Brad. With you guys spending this much time together during this whole tournament, how much are you expecting there to be conversations among different guys trying to get guys to join certain teams or like, hey, we should play together? I mean, how much? How much of those kinds of conversations do you think are going to be happening? Uh, I don't know. I mean, probably a lot. You know, uh, I don't know uh it depends on who who's a free agent or not but you know for the most part we don't we we can't mix that in right now you know we're focused on one goal at hand and that's bringing back the gold medal and uh you know granted we all have our respective individual you know goals and talents you know once this is done you know uh we can address those issues then but you know from for the most part uh we keep usa basketball and you know our main focus is getting the gold. I love it. He doesn't pull any punches. He says, probably. Yeah, it's probably going on. (laughs) We're probably talking about that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course you're talking about that. And I'm glad that somebody's actually giving us the real response that we want and not just dancing around it and lying and all this kind of stuff. Just be honest about it. We all know what's going on. We're not dumb. The majority of NBA fans are not dumb, right? There's a few out there, I'm sure, that still don't know what's going on, but we all know what's going on in these situations. It's superstars talking about creating super teams. That's what it is nowadays. That's what the NBA is as a whole nowadays. That's what it is. That's what it takes to win, right? That's what the Nets just attempted to do, and though it didn't work out this year, they were easily in the running for it just from getting those three players together. Right. So I, it, it's an obvious thing that they're trying to do. Um, I do like how he still tries to save the answer by saying, oh, no, no, we're also really focused on winning a goal for the U.S. Right. Because that's going to be really hard to do. Um, I just found it funny that, that that he was so openly honest about the first part of that being like, yeah, probably. Probably everybody's talking about that right now, and I hope that they are, and I hope that Tatum is recruiting Bradley Beal to come play in Boston, and I hope it's not the other way around. I hope Bradley Beal's not convincing him to play for Washington right i hope that they're not trying to t- think of another situation another team that they can go all play for and get good either uh you know beach vacations uh d- during the week when they're not practicing or playing or they have good tax exemptions down in texas or something like that or whatever the reasons are they're usually not being like oh man have you spent a winter in boston that's great i love that stuff have you ever gone <laughs> you know through um three feet of snow to get to your car and then drive to practice in the in the freezing cold rain and sleet and, and hail and then you come back home and it's 30 degrees outside. Oh man, you're going to really love it in Boston if you do that. That's the kind of stuff that they talk about though. That's the way, reason why you get super teams down in Miami or out in L.A. That's where the people want to be in this league. That's how they do it. They want to have the most opportunity for not only commercials and advertisements all over the place, but they want to have nice weather they want to be able to chill and party and do whatever they want. And Boston is not that type of place. I know that everyone already knows that. Like I said, most people, they're not dumb. They understand. But these super st- players, these superstar players are not getting together and being like, man, have you heard about Boston's nightlife? Yeah, it's great. Once you just start getting into your party around like 12, 1230, they cut you off and they send you home. It's awesome. Can't wait. It's really cool. I mean, I guess we did just get a casino in here in Boston, so that's nice, and hopefully that's going to start getting people to come in. I've been there. It's a pretty solid casino overall, but is that going to get you NBA star talent to come here and be like, man, I love the nightlife of Boston? No, it's not. So things need to change from that uh, standpoint. If as Celtics... Boston uh, basketball fans, we want these stars to come and think about us as a destination. It's either got to be because we drafted or traded for these players or somehow, some way, Jason Tatum can please convince them that it's okay, guys. We can come play here during the season. and, And while we're on vacation, we'll go down south and we'll go hang out in Miami or something like that. But during the season, we can all team up on Boston. It'll be great. That's what I'm hoping for. Switching it up again. Let's move on over to the football scene because we do actually have some Patriots news and no, it's not anything to do with any practice or anything like that. It's about players on the team wanting to leave the team because we now have news that Nikhil Harry's agent or Nikhil Harry, I guess, has requested a trade from the Patriots. All right. Now, that is an interesting thing to have happened. It makes sense in some standpoints because of the fact that he stinks. Uh He, he has not gotten the production that he wanted to here. He is, um, you know, been considered a bust, basically. First round pick, uh, you know, didn't do anything when Tom Brady was here. Certainly didn't do much when Cam Newton was or has been the quarterback. So it has not been a good situation for Tom, for uh, for Nikhil Harry. And, you know, I don't know if it's because the the uh, they think that they're just getting no passes thrown his way or, you know, he could get more production from another team. I'm sure he just wants a fresh start to be able to work in a new system because it's tough. It is tough to be a wide receiver. In the Patriots system, especially a big red zone target type receiver that Nikhil Harry is supposed to be. Now, he did show flashes of getting a little bit better last year. And I was hoping that at some point during the season, he would just kind of get it. It would all just kind of come together and he would just be able to uh, you know, take that next step. But obviously, when you got Cam Newton throwing you the ball, it's a little bit harder for that to work out for you. And now we're sitting in a situation where we're going to be basically seeing what we can get for him if we do end up trading him. Now, reports have come out that teams are actually interested in Harry, and they're willing to give a conditional six-round pick for him, meaning that if he does good um, – or, or possibly if the team does good, then it's a six-round pick they'd give to the Patriots. If he does bad or the team does bad, then they'd give us a seventh-round pick. So is that actually worth it for your f- supposed first-round talent, Nikhil Harry? Or do the Patriots need to go and try and get something a little bit more than that? Uh, I know that that's a hard question to ask. And obviously, how can you ask for more from a player who has not produced anything on the field? I personally, I was even joking about this on Twitter, saying that incoming is a seventh-round pick from an NFC team because that's most likely what's going to happen if they do ship him off. Belichick's just going to send him to the NFC somewhere, get himself a seventh-round pick, and be done with it. But can you actually fix this player in any sense? Or is it too far gone? That has got to be the major question at this point because is it worth it to just get rid of Nikhil Harry, be done with the whole situation, or should you try and hold on to a player that is, is, you know, not, not getting open as much. I know that he was in low percentages when it was getting, uh, you know, separation from defensive backs and things like that. He is not making the plays that he should be, but can you actually get something out of him? Because, uh, you know, make no mistake, this is a big, big miss on a first round pick if you just end up taking a conditional six round pick for him. That's no, that's no shocker there. Everyone knows that, right? You did not make out good on this pick and everybody who wants to destroy Bill Belichick for his uh, picks in the draft. This is obviously a good one for you to go at him for. So what are they going to do with this situation? I don't know. It seems as though the, uh, his agent at least is very adamant on getting him a new deal but, you know, when you've got a player that has been open on just 25% of his targets against single coverage, which qualifies for 99th out of 100, uh, you know, players in that statistical category, is it the player or is it the system? What is it actually? So I I actually personally wouldn't be surprised if he goes and he plays for another team and he can actually be like a 500 to 600 yard uh, receiver in a season or something like that. Something more like a wide receiver three um, kind of production there. Maybe at best you're getting a wide receiver two production, but I just don't see what he thinks he's going to turn into if he leaves this team and, And go somewhere else. I'm sure he obviously believes he can be better, right? But does anyone else actually believe that? Um, And, and, you know, I was looking over the whole statement that uh, his agent gave, uh, saying things like, for the past seven months, I have been working in cooperation with the Patriots behind the scenes to put a plan in place to allow Nikhil Harry to thrive in New England. Through two seasons, he has 86 targets which obviously hasn't met the expectations the Patriots and Nikhil had when they drafted a dominant downfield threat who was virtually unstoppable at the point of attack in college. Following numerous conversations with the Patriots, I believe it's time for a fresh start and best for both parties if Nikhil moves on before the start of training camp. That is why I have informed the Patriots today I am formally requesting a trade on behalf of my client. This is... Surprising, right? Because so you were trying to work with the team as to you know getting him a bigger role, and then what you didn't find out what you wanted, so now he's got to go. Uh, I mean, I get it, and, and and I'm ready to try something new. Obviously, you brought in uh, Nelson Aglor who brought in Kendrick Bourne. Those two are supposed to slot in above of Nikhil Harry right away. And then you've got Jacoby Myers, who's been producing more than Nikhil Harry has. So he's going to slot higher than Nikhil. And so that leaves him as the number four at best, To start off training camp on the on the chart there. So can he go find another team where he can slot in a little bit higher and get more production? I'm sure he could. There's got to be other teams in the NFL who are clamoring for a a decent wide receiver two or three. And with him being so young, they're going to get him for just as conditional six round pick. That's going to be great for another team. Because like I said before, I still believe that this player could do something in the NFL. I don't know what he's going to do, but I believe he could do something in the NFL for some team. Whether it's going to actually be good or not, I don't know. But we'll, we'll end up seeing. I thought that that was an interesting part of just leading up to training camp. Will we now see Belichick move on from this first-round wide receiver? Or will he just hold on to the player and see if he can make it work? is it worth it for for, for a sixth-round conditional pick? Or is it more worth it to just hold on to a player and try and force him to learn and change? And then if you don't like him, you can just cut him at the end of this season or something like that. You already have him under contract. This team needs receiving weapons. And though in the last episode of this show, I said that they should be going after a player like Golden Tate instead. You know, if they can't go and get somebody like that, Like I said, Nikhil Harry did show flashes of good ball, uh, receiving skills, movement. He, He was able to be stronger than some of the defensive backs that he played against in some situations. He just wasn't consistent with it at all. So is it worth it? To hold on to that player who was a first-round pick, or is it more worth it to get a pick for him? Though you're not going to get any production out of a sixth or seventh-round pick that comes into uh, the Patriots camp next season or two, usually. that That's usually not going to happen. So what is it really worth? What is Nikhil Airy really worth? What is he worth to you, Patriots fans? That's what I really ask. The other big news or, or semi news, I guess for the Patriots was the signing of Mac Jones, the rookie quarterback who has been drafted for the team this year in the first round uh, has signed his rookie deal. And it is a four year deal with a fifth year option on top of it uh, with 15.6 million total uh, on the contract, about 4 million per year. So we have our rookie quarterback signed up now and, um. One of the real great reasons for drafting a quarterback in the first round is because of having that fifth-year option. That is a lot of control, and that's obviously why Belichick could be convinced into taking a quarterback that high, because of the amount of control that you have over a player that's going to be making a lot less than uh, hopefully he's valued at two or three years into the contract, right? You're hoping that, uh, at least as a Patriots fan, for me personally – I'm hoping that he takes his red shirt year this year. I'm hoping that Cam Newton is serviceable enough to get us to the playoffs and and possibly a playoff win this year. That's all I'm looking for. Those are my expectations. That's as high as I need the team to go. That's where I want it. And then next year. You have Mac Jones with a year under his belt in the system, now being able to work his way into the offense, and he is going to be the guy moving forward. And so you start your second year as a rookie at around $4 million for the team. That's a great contract. And then all of a sudden you can bring more money to the rest of the team and hopefully get Mac Jones into the fold with some really good tight ends and maybe some wide receivers, and you keep that offensive line really strong, and the run game gets better with Damian Harris and those types And now we're talking about moving forward with this offense. That is what I want. And so you've got your deal now, Mac Jones. Now you just keep progressing. I don't want you to be thrown into the fire too early. I need you to just slowly keep progressing for this team. And uh, having him under contract is a good thing. It was an obvious thing, though. They were going to sign him because what else are you going to do at this point? The real contract concerns are with... Stephon Gilmore. That's who we really need to be talking about. And it looks as though the Patriots and Stephon Gilmore are going to reopen talks soon because the upcoming July 27th training camp will be uh hopefully, you know, the, the mark of a fresh start for this team with Stephon Gilmore and the defense being a solid veteran led defense. Um, Going into this season, that's what we need. And the, the reports saying that Stephon Gilmore is at least still willing to talk, they're going to reopen negotiations is a good thing, right? I know that a lot of people are upset right now that he hasn't already been signed. I know that a lot of people are, are asking why is Bill you know yanking him around and all these kind of things. But in reality, I think it's just a bunch of impatient Patriots fans who just need everything to be done immediately, right? There is kind of a structure to all of this stuff, and obviously Bill Belichick is going to take it to the max when it comes to structuring things, right? That's what he does. He's always the guy that's looking at the rules from top to bottom, and seeing what he can do, what he can't do, for how long he can do this, how long can he wait on this. And he's obviously talked to the player enough to let them know that they are interested in bringing him back. And I think I've also seen reports out there that Stefan Gilmore and his agent understand that a lot of the moves that were done in free agency were with the mindset that they would be bringing back Gilmore. So we're at that point now. We're getting closer and closer to the uh, training camp start, July 27th, like I said. So you got a little bit more time still. And I know that Patriots fans are really upset about that, right? Why hasn't he already been signed? But you don't need him to be signed yet, okay? So everybody just relax. I believe that it's going to happen. I think that Belichick knows what he needs, and that is a lockdown corner, a top five corner on this defense to really make it stick that we have a solid overall defense going forward into this season because that is going to be one of the major factors for whether or not this team can make the playoffs it's going to be all about the defense again and running the ball and that is what I fully believe here if you don't believe that or if you don't think that that's going to happen I think you're going to be sadly mistaken so he is a key part Stefan Gilmore your best defensive player is a key part to all of that plan right there and Belichick knows that He is a defensive-minded guy, and he's going to keep that guy. He's loved having Gilmore on the team. He's loved having a lockdown corner on the team. You can tell that because he wanted to do that with Darrell Revis. He knows that that position is very key to his overall success on the defensive side of things. That's what the NFL needs nowadays is you need those lockdown corners to go against these wide receivers that are getting all the rules given in their favor, right? and this is a guy Gilmore who is a man to man top tier talent right he's not just a zone guy which i'm not saying that zone guys aren't good but they get a lot more of the flashy flashy stats like interceptions because they're in playing in zone areas there. They're not necessarily doing everything that you need locking down a player, which Gilmore does. If you can have a Gilmore on your defense that is going to literally take out their best offensive weapon receiving-wise every single game... That is going to be, you know, it's, it's, you can't even pay enough for that. So I know he's coming off of an injury. And I also know that he can't be playing for seven or eight million dollars this year. It's got to be somewhere closer to 14, 15, somewhere in that area. And we do have the cap space for it or the ability to get the cap space for it. So it's going to happen. I want to keep reminding everyone that it's going to happen. I'm going to guarantee that he is going to be on this team. He's going to be signed to this team because there's no way that Bill is going to actually let this player go They're They're reopening conversations here. They already know that this is a part of the whole plan with signing all these players in free agency and trying to go for it right now. Even though you only got Cam Newton as your quarterback, the only way to get this team to the playoffs is to have that dominant defense and then you get enough out of the offense. That's what we need right now. So they're going to obviously sign him. I need everyone to relax. I know I'm saying that and it's sounding like I'm not relaxing, but they are going to sign this guy. He is going to be the best player on our defense, and this defense is going to be solid all year. Mark it. Book it. I told you right now it's going to happen. Get ready for it. All right, one more topic that we have here to talk about, and that is the NHL. Uh, You had the Stanley Cup decided the other night as the Tampa Bay Lightning won their second Stanley Cup in as many years over the Montreal Canadiens by a series of four to one. A gentleman's sweep as the Lightning proved again that they're just the best team in the league right now, and you can hate on them all you want. But they they gained the system or whatever you want to call it uh, to the perfect way as far as salary cap goes and all of those things with Corona and uh, have long term injury problems and things of that nature. So the Lightning did it. Congratulations to them Um, as a Bruins fan. You know, I don't like to see them win, obviously, but you know who I don't like to see win even more the Montreal Canadiens. And then the reason is uh, I don't like their fans. I just don't. I haven't I haven't liked them forever for as long as I can remember as being a Bruins fan back into the 90s uh, and even in the 2000s. They had some of the worst things, even up until 2011. You know, we had some of the crazier situations, um, even with their fans wanting to have players arrested because of hits happening on the ice. Uh, they, they, they're just fans that don't deserve to be happy as far as I'm concerned. I've never liked them. I don't like the way that they operate as a group of fans, the 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 chants that they have that are just a kind of annoying and na na boo boo kind of stuff that they do and all of these different things that have happened over the years. You can say whatever you want. I've had a lot of random Bruins fans around me actually be – You know, rooting for Montreal, and I get the reason why they're doing it. I just couldn't do it personally myself. I'd rather just have Tampa Bay win again as a team with fake fans that paid for it rather than having the Montreal Canadiens fans get a championship, though they have a very likable team. And I get that. That's what everybody who was a Bruins fan that was still rooting for the Canadiens to win was saying to me, that they have a really likable team. If it was the team, if you had seen this team anywhere else, you'd be rooting for this team over Tampa Bay. And I completely agree with you. I would. I would have, if it was any other, pretty much any other team in the league, I would have rooted for that team over the Lightning, right? But I can't root for their fans to be happy. That's the thing. I think that that's what all of those people who are rooting for the Canadians don't understand. It's not about the team or the players. To me, personally... It's about not wanting to see those fans happy. It's about not wanting to see them have any type of success because I don't think that they deserve it. Personally, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into all of the crazy reasons or crazy things that they've done as fans over the over uh, the many years I've been a hockey fan. Like I said, into the 90s, um, but it, you know, it's just something that is 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 not in my nature to root for those people who I don't think deserve a championship or to be happy or to say their nana nana boo boos were Canadians and we we win in hockey and blah 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 all this stuff I'd rather have the Tampa Bay Lightning win at least there I know that I, their fans don't actually care right and so at the end of the day I don't really think that they're getting too much enjoyment out of it and sure that the players are going to get to enjoy that and they deserve it because they were the most dominant and dominant team in the league with the, uh, you know, one of the best goalies going, right? He, he won the MVP for, for the playoffs there. Um, and so it was a good team. And and anyone who is I've seen a lot of complaining on Twitter and on social media about the fact that they were over the salary cap technically is what they're saying something about how they cheated and all this stuff. But if you don't know about the long term injury rules in the NHL, they actually just did what they were allowed to do. So Kucherov, who was injured for the entire season, came back and played great in the playoffs when he came back. So. Fans were saying, you know, you're 17 or $15 million over the salary cap because of that player, because technically, you know, I guess you could say that they were. But due to the fact that the NHL has a clause or a a stipulation to the rules where there's a long-term injury player rule, they were allowed to keep that player on the injured reserve and use that cap space to make their team better. Now, you're going to say, how could you make the team better when they were already so dominant? But... They were able to do it, and it obviously showed, and they were able to dominate their way all the way to the finals, and then dominate in the finals as well. You can't. You gotta kind of tip your cap to those types of teams, because if you could have done it with your team, if the Bruins could have done something like that, and you don't think that you would have been cheering your butt off for that team the same exact way, you're crazy to me. That's just not right. I don't believe you. If you're the type of person that's also a football fan, and you're a fan of the Patriots, who are always trying to get the biggest advantage and use the Rules to the full extent of the law, and then you go over and you say that the Tampa Bay Lightning are cheating. Come on, what do we what are we talking about here? So I feel that it comes from a place of a lot of fans just being jealous that they won, not liking the fact that Tampa Bay has basically bought the last two championships the way that the Yankees bought all their championships in baseball, that kind of thing. I get that, but to call them cheaters when they actually were just following the rules that's that's tough you can't you can't be upset for that one there you can be upset for many other things the fact that they could get all these teams the fact that they have such a stacked roster I get that you're upset about that the fact that they're in Tampa Bay which is one of the worst hockey markets that's ever been created and now they've won back-to-back Stanley Cups and are on a a roll of dominance and probably will be back in another situation to possibly win another one next year because they still have a very good core of players that they'll be able to bring back, I get it. You're upset, and and it stinks. It does to have that type of a team, especially when it's been right in the Bruins' face for the majority of these past, what, five, six, seven years where it's just been, uh, you know, they've been one of the major teams that's been in your way uh, for and, and the Bruins keep proving that they're a top-tier team and then just can't get it done. That's upsetting. It is. It's, it's really coming from that side of things, I think, and maybe that's why teams or, or, or fans that were or our fans of the Bruins wanted the Canadians to win so that they just didn't have to see the dominant Lightning win again, and it was the little plucky Canadians team that could win. But once again, I bring it back to the fans. It's all about the fans to me. The fans are what matters the most to me in a lot of these situations because we are what powers it. We are what powers the engine that is sports. If there aren't fans, then there not going to be any games, and if there aren't fans, you won't have these debates, you won't have... People talking and throwing out podcasts and radio shows, talking and debating about sports, it wouldn't be as popular as it was. It wouldn't actually be a thing if it weren't for the fans. So it's all about the fans to me. I love a good plucky team, a, a good uh, you know underdog story, just like the rest of you do. But when it comes from that type of a fan base, I'm not going to root for them. I'm not going to root for the Canadians fan base. I'm not going to root for the Yankees fan base. I'm not going to root for the Lakers fan base. Those are the types of fan bases that I will never be able to root for your team. I don't care what they look like. Okay, So if, if you can't understand my side of things, then I don't know what to tell you on that one. I get that people, and I have no problem with you being a, a fan of the Canadians for this run because you liked their team and you don't care about the fans. I get that side of things too. I'm just telling you the other side of things. And we all got to understand that there's two, so- two sides to every coin, and that's how it's going to be. But the other reason why I wanted to talk about this stuff is because um, – Vegas has come out with the way, way, way too early odds for the next Stanley Cup champions. And I found it funny uh, because the Lightning are actually not the favorite to win it again next year. Like I said, they basically are going to be able to bring back the majority of their talent going into next year as far as I know. So why would they not be the overall favorite? That might be something that you get in now and you try and place a little bet on them because – At this point, them not being the favorite is kind of crazy. The Colorado Avalanche are actually or actually have the best odds as of right now. They have a what is considered to be a 13.3% chance or a plus 650 if you're a gambler and you understand that kind of stuff. The Avalanche are the number one team. Then it's the Lightning and the Vegas Golden Knights as the two and three Uh, teams right there, which is understandable. Vegas was another one that was very close to being able to be in a final situation. They're another team that's going to have a good amount of their talent coming back, and that's going to be great for them. Then you have the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Those two I kind of scoff at because no matter how good they are talent-wise, it usually comes down to the fact that they just can't get over the hump for some reason. Tampa Bay, I mean, uh, Toronto, for one, uh, you know, is is the type of team that seems to blow every situation that they can get into. They can have the most talented roster going, and they're still going to blow it somehow, it seems. Carolina Hurricanes, similar situation there. They're just going to blow it, but I guess I can't really be talking because the number six team uh uh, on the stanley cup list here right now is the boston bruins right and we on top of everybody else is another team that just kind of blows it at the end right we're a top tier team we're a top uh record wise whatever you want to call it this team's got talent all the time every year and we get to a certain and we just can't compete we can't show up at the right moment, whether it's the goalie or it's the defense or the offense doesn't show up. The, the perfection line doesn't score enough goals, whatever it is. We seem to just every year get to this point uh, since 2011 and we haven't been able to finish. It's been really tough to see. So I love the fact that they're the number six overall odds to be able to win the Stanley cup. It's understandable in hockey. They're probably going to be back in another situation. They're probably going to bring back the whole squad again, including Tuca Hopefully, including Taylor Hall, including Krejci, all these players are going to bring them all back. And then you hopefully can bring something else into the mix It's actually going to change their fortunes for once. And we can have some pucks bounce our way and get to that area that we want to be. But who knows? Just like the Carolina Hurricanes, just like the the Toronto Maple Leafs, we're just a team right now that just can't get it done. You have all the talent in the world, you just can't get it done. So can we change that? I don't know. I'm hoping so. But congratulations again to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Two cups in two years. That is pretty crazy if you think about it. Especially the way that the, the the sport of hockey goes, right? You could just get a hot team. And that's basically what the Canadians were. You got a hot goaltender in Carey Price and a team that was just hitting on all cylinders and then they ran into a buzzsaw that was the tampa bay lightning and there was nothing they could do about it so uh here's to hoping for a good next season for the bruins and and with the number six odds to win the stanley cup i hope and i can't wait to hear and and talk more about my team again once we get some more information with this off season and we'll see how things go but i just wanted to to talk about that for a second because i was i was uh I guess pleasantly surprised that they're still in that conversation for a top-tier team in the league. All right, so that's going to do it for another episode of The Claptrap. Just wanted to say thank you to anyone who is tuning in and listening along. This is going to be up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Google Podcasts, anywhere where podcasts are. Please give me a listen, a like on there. I am also up on social media, at The Claptrap on Instagram and Twitter, also on Twitter at Zach Clapp, my personal uh, page that I talk about basically every topic that I'm going to talk on the show about on there, and I'm interacting with people every single day, so please go and follow along, and we can have some conversations online about all of this great sports banter, and I will be doing this again next week, another great episode coming up, so tune in for that no gambling takes this week but I will be most likely getting it back next week and then obviously once football comes around that's when we'll really ramp things back up with the gambling takes but everyone have a great rest of your weekend and I will talk to you next week see you later